welcome everybody to the Too High Podcast. I'm Seth Galina. I'm joined, as always, by Deontay Lee. And uh, from the from the jump, ready to go, is uh, Derek Klassen, uh, QB Class on Twitter, uh, our friend, making his return visit to the Too High Podcast, though his first visit was on the, uh, the PFF College Football Podcast. But Derek, what's going on? Um, not a whole lot. The weather here is uh, not 100 plus every day, so <laughs> doing a lot better in that regard. <laughs> This is this is going to be the first podcast I we didn't talk about the weather. No, 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 no. I, if I'm going to come on the podcast, I get to talk about the weather. <laughs> That's the whole reason I, I I I wanted to come on the podcast. Okay, so there you go. We both of you guys live in in California, um, so you guys just have just naturally better weather than everyone else in the world. No, no, no. Deontay does. He, <laughs> I live in the Central Valley, which is not as uh, not as great weather most of the time. And I wouldn't say it's great for me either right now. It's it's a chilling 63 degrees outside. So you see, I have my, I have my hoodie on. <laughs> uh, all right, before we get into it, um, just want to give a shout out to Deontay Lee, whose birthday it was yesterday, I believe. Uh, so happy birthday, Deontay. Thank you. Thank you very much. I am... You know what I spent my birthday doing? Posting, like any good internet person would. <laughs> Let's go. It was, it was either going to be playing video games or being on Twitter, so yep. uh, there you go. All right, um, we start this week with LSU. LSU is going to let go of Ed Orgeron after the season ends, and so I will talk about it. <laughs> So the first thing I want to say is like I've been pretty pretty anti Orgeron the past couple of years, um, you know, basically since the national championship, and I just want to take a take a step back and just kind of like re- remember that the the guys from Louisiana, he, you know, played you know college ball at Louis in uh, I think I guess McNeese, and then you know the whole thing was. I want to get to LSU. I want to be the head coach of LSU, and I want to win a national championship at LSU. And he did that. Like at the end of the day, he did he did that, and he's a millionaire and blah blah blah. So like, congrats to him, I guess. What seems to have happened since that day in New Orleans in January 2020 is that that's it. Like he did what he was supposed to do on this earth to do, and then he's just been kind of lounging ever since, and. I think like we always want to compare everyone to Nick Saban, you know, trust the process, Nick Saban. But I personally am more on Ed Orgeron's side. Like if I won a national championship, that would be it for me. Like I wouldn't need to do anything else. That's the goal is to win a national championship. And, with, you know, Saban obviously is like the goal is to process. Like the goal is the process. It doesn't make any sense. And I remember one time Saban won the, they won the national championship and he was pissed because that meant less recruiting days and recruiting visits for him. This was like in like maybe one of the first Alabama ones. So it's like no, no one is really like that. You know, I'm sure like there's other coaches out there, there's other, other psychopath coaches out there. But I, I, I appreciate that Orgeron just said, I did it and now I can do whatever the fuck I want for the rest of my time here. With that said, obviously it got to a point where it was really bad, you know, Orgeron, and this has always been my problem with like the CEO head coach, and he did work with the D line for for a number of years there at LSU because that's where that's what he was doing as a position coach before he became um, a head coach. But obviously, no coordinator experience. 
and it gets to the point where one of the issues is once you once you like i don't really believe in culture like creating a culture and stuff like that i think winning creates culture um and you win by having good players but like and and sometimes good scheme so like once that dis once you stop winning it's like well what like of course everything is going to turn bad and like if you're not trying to put it back together again um every day and from what we understand Orjon was not trying to do that um uh, you can go read the article by um by our friends uh ross dellinger and rich richard johnson on on sports illustrated and you can read a, a really good one um uh by brody miller on the athletic talking about all the issues we don't have to get into now but just all the issues so it was just something that it's, it was about to happen they were fucking awful for two years now one of the worst programs uh on in the on the planet so it happened and um this means lsu's got an opening this means lsu and usc have an opening and guess what that means me and deontay we both want the same coach for our yep. favorite schools that's right uh so yeah anyways we both want dave uh dave aranda yes that's it Jeez, well, i think he's the best I mean, I love what he did at LSU. I mean, I made my, I made like I do with whoever's coaching my favorite team. I, I, you know, got on Twitter and I yelled at him or whatever for not having a pass rush once in a while. But like, he's the best. So that's it. Yeah, I will say I really only have a couple things to add. Number one, as a USC fan, you know, you don't take joy in anybody being fired. But I will just continue to dunk on everybody who dunked on me in 2019, who said that how could you not hire the Cajun man at USC, the guy who lost to Notre Dame and UCLA in two, two, three weeks, you know, as an interim coach at SC. But that's neither here nor there. And then the, the football thing, because I know, Derek, for you, you don't engage much on the college football side until the draft comes around. Um, but this is something that's just telling in football, period. And that's that if you really want to win, you got to have good players and good assistants. And when you win a lot, you lose your good players and you lose your good assistants. And, you know, I do think that they tried to make attempts to hire the best assistants available. I think 2020 was a shot at that. You try to just go get the biggest names that were there. Obviously, the Bo Pelini thing was a disaster from day one, and there are some mitigating factors with COVID and trying to install a brand new defense, you know, especially a defense as different as what Pelini's is from what Aranda's was. Um, and then this past year, I think that was kind of like, you know, we're getting the band back together, right? That was a one last job type of deal. Um, and they just don't have the players this year. I think they have the right, the, they had the assistance that they wanted. They just don't have the players right now. And, you know, if you have that in back-to-back -back years at a place like LSU, that will get you canned. Um, but I do think it's kind of telling. Uh, and I thought about it before we started this podcast because I was actually listening to uh, the Athletic NFL show with Doug Peterson and uh, Robert Mays this morning and thinking about his career in Philadelphia and just how much changed after 2017 when your entire offensive staff goes and gets head coaching jobs or OC jobs elsewhere. It's hard to replace that, you know, especially if you have something special the way that they did and they were doing something in 2017 that not a lot of offenses were. So, you know, I think that that's, that's ultimately the story as far as on-field goes. There's obviously all of these different Title IX implications that, that are happening at LSU. And, you know, Ordron is tied up in a lot of that. And he's implicated in some of his own things that pissed off people who were higher-ups at LSU. And obviously, this is not the platform to have that conversation today. But I do want to make sure that it's noted that that's a big piece of it as well. But as far as the football goes, man, you got to have good players, which is something that, you know, 
you'll usually have at LSU, and then you got to have the assistants that can put the schemes around them, and that's something that they did not have after 2019. Yeah, I think I, the, the only uh, thing I'll add is, like, the assistance thing is, like, why Saban has been able to do what he's done. Like, the, it's yes. a revolving door every year because, of course, you're, you know, like you were saying with the Eagles um, after Peterson won the Super Bowl and stuff, like, when you're the best, people want to steal your guys because you're the best. But Saban consistently has been able to replace those guys um, and still have a pretty unparalleled level of consistency that we've ever seen in the modern era. So um, I think the, I think you make a good point that like once he lost all those guys that were on the winning team, he wasn't able to replace them the same way that Saban or, I don't know, maybe even like Dabo could or something. But th- this is the issue I always have with the, the so-called CEO coach. Where, I, where with Saban, and I'm not saying this is the reason why they, they can do exactly what you two are talking about and, and lose assistant coaches and stay great every year, but he makes everyone learn the Saban system. And everything is, te- like, we, like, like the three of us have seen certain stuff from like playbooks and stuff from Alabama, and like everything is, is like he makes the offensive coaches who come in learn how to call stuff. Like this isn't like everyone's doing their own thing where you bring in a Bo Pelini and he has his own terminology. Bo Pelini is going to come into your to your to LSU and he's going to bring his terminology that's completely different from what Aranda did and what is different than you know what they were going to do on offense with Steve with Ensminger was still there that year. That was going to be different than you know maybe what um, Joe Brady was doing and then they bring in uh, Scott Linehan and, and and everything is going to be different. And from from what I understand is like. At Alabama, everyone runs the same. Everyone has the same terminology. When you get in there, you got to learn that, and I think that helps for continuity. I mean, we we know it helps for continuity, and that's so. Again, that's like Saban being. Yeah, now maybe Saban is what we call a CEO type, but at the same time, like this guy is a DB coach, and he's been a coordinator somewhere. So you're this all starts from the Saban system. You know, whether it's 20, 25 years ago, and it's continued down the line, and things. The defense has evolved, um, maybe conceptually, but I think terminology-wise, it hasn't. From what I understand, maybe I'm wrong about this, D. No, I mean I think that you you pretty much nailed it. I mean the conversation that the conversation that's being had right now is going. It's come up when I've talked about SC. We've had this conversation a bunch of different times since 2019 with LSU. Um, you know, when you see these wild fluctuations between teams, it's hard. Alabama is an exception, even amongst exceptions, guys. Like, when you're very good, you don't get to stay good forever because they take all your good guys. That's the way it's supposed to work. You know, it's the same in the NFL. That's the reason why there's parity in the NFL, right? Because good players sign big contracts elsewhere. Good coaches get promotions elsewhere. That's kind of just – that's just the way it goes. It's the natural order of things, and this is kind of where we're at with LSU. And, you know, I think the next hire – the good thing for LSU is – for all the issues that are going on right now, it's not like they're also facing something massive coming from the NCAA, right? Like that would be its own issue, right? And you know, no are. guarantee. You know, no guarantee. <laughs> no guarantee. You know, it's, it's early. It's early in the game. But I will say that, you know, when we were talking about Tennessee after they let go of Pruitt, right? Like that was something that was kind of overarching on the whole conversation. Like, man, whatever coach they want to hire has to step in with the understanding that what the state of the program is on day one might not be it at all by even by day 30. And obviously, you know, they've been able to kind of get by and haven't had to, have to face their day yet, you know, and there's no guarantee on what it will look like. 
um, you know, whenever they do get a ruling from the NCAA on all of the recruiting investigations. You know, we'll see with LSU. Maybe this Title IX thing continues to draw out and their new AD isn't able to, you know, kind of put out all these fires that he's dealing with behind the scenes. And, you know, we may have a different conversation altogether about what LSU's football looks like over the next three to five years at the end of it. But as it stands right now, it's still an excellent job. You know, like I said, I'll, I will fight you to the death for Dave Miranda. Um, but I, I do think that they'll be, be able to attract a quality coach no matter who it is. Yeah, I don't think Aranda's actually coming to LSU. I don't either. Um, just from things that I've heard and the way he talks. Uh, Bring the so, West Coast yeah. boy home. <laughs> yeah, I think I think there's a better chance USC gets him. Uh, all right, so with that said, um, Derek uh, focuses mostly on, especially in season on the NFL before he gets to rec- evaluating what linebackers and interior defensive linemen. What are you doing this year? Uh, I'm doing the front seven stuff for Bleach Report. So, yeah, defensive interior, defensive end, uh, linebackers. Uh, you know, normally when I get these types of jobs, I'm upset that I can't do the quarterbacks, but I'm very glad that Nate has to deal with that this year. So, <laughs> Yeah, qu- quarterbacks are, are in a rough spot, and we'll get <laughs> oh, to that you, in a few you months. You mean you don't want to grind tape on Carson Strong? <laughs> I'm going to eventually, man, but I'm, I'm dreading it for sure. <laughs> How do you evaluate uh, nose tackles, Derek? I'm kidding. You don't <laughs> I don't even know where to start this question. <laughs> All right. Uh, Do you let's get start... off the ball? That's that's basic. <laughs> that's eighty percent of the job. Can you get off the ball? Derek, you wrote a really good article last week on Football Outsiders about the Bears' defense. And uh, well, let's talk about it. What do you see when you watch the Bears' defense? So the one caveat that I, I have, and I think is probably going to be. Not necessarily their downfall, but why they have problems against certain teams is like they don't have great cover players. Um, I think Jalen Johnson has been really good, but I think you even saw against the Packers, he was a little bit up and down against Devontae Adams, which is going to happen sometimes. Um, but the rest of their cornerback room is kind of whatever. Like Kendall Vildor is, is really scrappy, but he's not the best cover guy. Duke Shelley, another guy who's really scrappy, and I think they missed him in that Packers game. Um, but He's also not particularly great in coverage. Um, he's good in press, but like if you get him down the field, he's kind of screwed. Um, but I think why their defense works is, one, they have two edge rushers who like you can just rush for, and they're going to get home all the time. Uh, Khalil Mack is obviously one of the best. Robert Quinn is having probably one of the best seasons of his career, um, which is kind of crazy given like how many injuries he had had the past few years, and then he was kind of down last year. So kind of insane that he's been as good as he is and then their interior guys do a pretty good job of getting pushed and they have like a really good two deep so they just have this like incredible front four that they can consistently um they only have to rush for like i think they have one of the lowest blitz rates in the nfl um and that allows them to consistently have numbers and coverage which helps make up for the fact that like they just don't have great coverage players um at least in the secondary like eddie jackson is good again and like jalen johnson is good but they don't have like a full secondary Um, And then I think, you know, I put this in the article, one of my favorite things is that even though they don't bring pressures a lot and they don't necessarily do a ton of games, when they do it, like especially on third downs, because they're good at getting you into like third and medium, third and long, because um, they're really good tacklers, really good run defense. The way that they can scheme up pressure is kind of insane. You know, I had the one um, in, in the article where like they have Quinn and Mack on the same side and then they have a nose tackle over the center. So you can't slide to Quinn and Mack like you just can't you would have to have the tight end there 
um, like pre-snap, and that's not what I think it was the Bengals uh, that they were playing did. And so you just get Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn 2v2 against uh, a guard and a tackle, and like, those guys are going to be able to win that every time, especially when you have a rusher like Mack who obviously is really good around the edge, but he's so powerful that he's kind of good being that like masher on games and stuff like that. So I think they just have an incredible front four um, that they can consistently get home with. It allows them to have bodies in the back end. And then the, the last little note I'll add on top is like, I think Roquan Smith is, is playing really good. Um, and he's just, he can do so many things in coverage that it kind of allows them to blend to whatever the offense is giving them. Uh, the Chicago Bears number one in sack rate this year. So, and, and they're not blitzing up. like that's crazy. Blitz rate is we have a twenty eighth. Yeah, yeah, so that's just front four getting it done. And I think yeah. you know, I, I don't know. I haven't. I, I I did watch them against Green Bay this week, and I actually thought so. They lose the game. Uh, I thought they did a really really good job, and it it, it forced Green Bay to grind out a win. Mm-hmm. And they really lost on I don't know four gash plays. There's like a I think there was a power run to Dylan. I think there's obviously a couple, couple Adams catches. What what are you gonna do about it? But really, it forced them to grind it out. And you know, in drop back passing games, drop back passing situations, Rodgers was holding onto the ball quite a bit. Like this is this was a very surprising performance by by the Bears. So, uh, you know, you, you hate to write the article and then they go out and lose a game, but they actually played really really well. Right, I think they did, and like. I will say, like, the one other thing with that defense is they will kind of they kind of have a tendency to give up those gash plays every now and then, and I think that goes back to just the fact that, like, they just don't have great coverage players. They have a great scheme. I think it's incredibly well coached. You can see in the way that the guys, like, the, the way they squeeze the air out of routes, the way that they will click and close on, like, um, shorter routes to limit yards after the catch. Like, these guys clearly know what they're doing, but because you don't have the greatest talent, you're going to get these gash plays where the best wide receiver in the league is going to be able to rip off 60 yards at a time on you. So um, I think that was kind of the problem they ran into and probably one they'll run into again this week. I think um, they get the Bucks, which, like, they're probably outmatched there. But right. um, I think they just have all the tools to, to match up with pretty much any of these offenses that don't just have an elite, elite wide receiver core. I mean, the thing that's really interesting to me, you know, after reading what you what you had written and looking at some of our data is the fact that they've been so successful the last three weeks in spite of the fact that they're not really a good defense on first and second down. But it's because of what you said, like they can live with rushing four no matter the situation. So even if it's third and five, third and six, they can get enough pass rush to be able to cover with seven and not get hurt. Um, you know, and to your point, I do think that, you know, for whatever reason, they've just had they've had issues with stopping the run early. I think that that's really kind of the reason why they don't have great early down defense. But if you got the front four that they have, I mean, you kind of should be playing the pass anyways. And based on the way that this team is set up right now, I think that that serves them best anyhow. You know, and I, I like the fact that they've been able to lean so hard into the fact that they've got Floyd and they've got Mac. You know, you've got Hicks, you've got these guys who can um, – <clears throat> who can affect the quarterback, right? Who can affect the quarterback without needing to send pressure. And to your point, I think a big piece is the fact that they finally have a second level defender who can affect the game in Roquan Smith. And he had always kind of flashed, but I think that this is probably the most consistent stretch of football that he's played by far. And that's been a great thing for them in terms of being able to match up with guys, you know, in the passing game, whether they want to play tight to routes or if they want to play soft in zone coverage. 
Sorry, this always goes back to the same thing when we talk about just football in general. If you can rush four, you can do a lot of stuff in the back end. So they don't play. They don't need to. You know, you talk about the secondary being just okay. They don't need to play a ton of man. They don't play a ton of man, and I guess in a sense they don't need to. And they don't. They don't play a ton of cover three either. I mean, they're still getting too high. Um, I just want to put this out because I didn't realize this as I'm looking up the coverage schemes. You know, the Falcons play 46 percent in cover two. That's more than Lovey Smith by like 20 percent. Uh, I, I don't even, I don't know what the hell's going on. Forty six percent of the Falcons' defensive snaps charted by PFF in cover two. Yeah, that's uh, I, don't the, I don't know. I don't know. What the, I don't know. We don't have to talk about that at all. Yeah, no, that's uh, weird. Very weird. And I said um, I don't know why I said Leonard Floyd when I meant Robert Quinn. That that was a complete mm-hmm. gap on my part. Uh, Travis Gibson is also having a really good couple he weeks. He's been really good. Yeah. I also wonder. Uh, you guys probably have the date on this. Like how much of their up and down run defense on earlier downs is because they play out of so many two high shells. Like obviously when you just don't I have would the, imagine. The, the bodies in the box, like it's just harder unless you have unbelievable safeties who are incredible at triggering down the way that like Jalen Johnson or not Jalen Johnson, uh, John, John Johnson, Johnson was yeah. uh, with the Rams. Like Eddie Jackson is good, but he's not quite that level in terms of just like clicking and, and closing down in the box. So um, also like Alec Ogletree is just not, very good, which kind of hurts them a little bit uh, when he's one of your when you when you're playing a lighter box and he's one of your guys that are in the box. That's going to be a little bit of an issue. So, uh, but I do think that that probably helps them limit what's going on in the passing uh, in the passing game just generally the way that they structure their their defense. Well, while Seth is vamping, I can pull that up. So go ahead, Seth. Oh, I was looking at the same thing. So they're 18th <laughs> in cover three rate, and they're and they're 20. Uh, 23rd and cover one rate on on first down. So again, it's that same thing where it's like they're going to play a lot of too high structures, and then it's going to happen where you you get because it's it's not just like okay, yeah, having a great four defensive linemen, um, they're better on the edge than they are inside. And obviously, we know that if you're going to play with too high, you got to be good in the interior. You know, you got to be good interior D line and linebackers. Or else you're gonna have problems, and we're seeing it now. You know, speaking of this, this whole like Brandon Staley type of situation, like we're seeing it now with the Chargers. Like they can't play in the middle, so mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna line up in all these too high coverages. And the and, he, and we we talked about it, how he'll he'll adapt based on the team. It's not always too high, but um, that they had a one good game when we talked about it against the Raiders, and it's like oh maybe this is this is an interior D line that can make some plays, and then it turns out they they're not good. So, and then the interior linebackers are not good either. So it's like, it's going to happen or you're just going to get gashed. And the question is, how, how, how gashed do you have to get where you, before you're like, all right, well, I can't do this anymore. Like I got to spin, like I got to, or not even just spin. I just got to line up with bigger bodies inside and, and gap out. I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what the, what the answer is there. I think the bears are like a good example of what it looks like to not be getting gashed too much to where you're still getting value out of the way that they play. I will also say the last thing I'll say, at least um, on last week's game, is like I think Duke Shelley was technically active, but like he didn't play, and I think it was because he still is having ankle issues. Um, but I think they really missed him in run defense. Like I said, he's not the greatest cover guy, especially um, when he has to work a little bit more vertical. But like he will fit the run, man. And when he's one of your you know lighter bodies that you're playing in a lighter box, like. It really helps when your nickel can fit the run the way that he does. Like, you know, um, I think I put this in the article, but, like, every offense is going to have those plays where they have, like, a wide receiver in a close split, and they try to come up and cut off the nickel. He, he does not get cut off on that, ever. He is, like, always in the fit, and he's able to um, 
you know, limit what, what guys are doing in run plays. So I think not having him um, probably had like a little bit of a ripple effect, at least in, in last week. So I have some of the data and what now I'm actually even more interested. So I want to go back and watch. So their average depth of tackle. So where they're making their tackles at would rank like in the top 10 in the NFL, um, putting the run out of two high shells. I think they're like 12th in the amount of time that they have um, split safety shells, you know, at the snap for a rundown. And I think and I'm looking at uh, their EPA per play and I want to say, yeah, they're in the top five for that. So to me, the fact that they're not having a lot of success almost makes it seem like they're just playing they're playing the ultimate long game, which is that you're not going to be able to gash them enough times in the run game to, to punish them with it, you know, and that they'll, they'll be able to live in second and six more often than most teams because they know that when you do go to pass, they're playing more split safety stuff and they have the pass rush to affect the quarterback. So, you know, maybe we'll be writing about how this is the analytic guy's fever dream defense, you know. Not actually having yeah. talented coverage players and just <laughs> loading up on pass rush and playing too high all the time. Well, and, and the thing is, like I said, they got gashed four or five times. I mean, they really got gashed on one run play. Like, in, just in terms of the run, it was, an, like I said, it was an A.J. Dillon 25-yard, 30-yard run. on. I think it was power. I don't remember now. But besides that, it was Devontae Adams. Mm-hmm. Which is like, again, what, okay, yeah, you, good players make good plays. So, like, I don't know if it's structurally an issue for them going forward. Obviously, like you said, if they get Duke Shelley back, uh, who's been a good player for them, then they can really make a run. And obviously, if the offense starts to get going, I think all three of us are believers in Justin Fields to, all right, well, the play, they're, they're going to start hitting on a, a lot more plays going forward. So I think that is um, something to look forward to with the Bears' defense. Okay. Um, it's the uh, getting to the close to the end of the week, so uh, we will do our Sunday night football preview, and we have the great Carson Wentz uh, against uh, the San Francisco 49ers. But it's good that we have you on here because Derek, you love Frank Reich. So talk, tell me about Frank Reich. Why do you love Frank Reich? Yeah, make me watch this game because Carson Wentz <laughs> is a gross quarterback. So sell me on this game. <laughs> Carson I mean, Wentz is, so. the, is like the top graded PFF quarterback uh, of all time. I'm pretty sure. So That's, doesn't make him not <laughs> gross. <laughs> um, I, I will say, I think this year, at least um, up until T. Y. Hilton got back recently, like they didn't have the talent to, I think, be a, a very good offense. Like they had a lot of like okay receivers who would be good as your number three, but they were all having to like be a lot more than that, which I think was a problem. But I think why I like Frank Reich is like he he does a better job I think than most coordinators of doing a really good job of mixing up his um, formations. Like he's going to stress you horizontally. He's going to make you. He's going to like condense everything. And he's going to stress you that way. He's going to tie a lot of his like run action to his play action very well. Um, I think that was especially true when Jack Doyle was playing better. I think this year in particular he is not as good as he had been, especially like um, you know during the Andrew Luck era or even like the the year that Jacoby Brissett started. Like I think. He was really good at that sort of stuff and, and making his play pass look really convincing. Um, I think this year, because the offensive line is not as good, they've had a little bit of trouble doing that. Um, but I think just generally, I think he does such a good job of making every single player on the field a threat at all times. And when they have eight or nine guys that they're consistently cycling in, um, the fact that he can make all of them a threat at any given time, no matter the formation or concept, I think has always been really impressive to me. It, it just doesn't seem like he's a guy who's ever boxed into anything. Um, and I think that that's been really impressive. And I'm hoping that with T.Y. Hilton back, um, if the offense can open up a little bit more vertically, that's going to open up kind of everything and, and really let us see like what this offense is supposed to be with Carson Wentz. Like, I'm still not sure Wentz is like good again, 
but truthfully, he's been like fine. He he's been better than I think, uh, better for sure than he was last year, and potentially better than I think a lot of people thought he might have been coming into the year. I think that the word that you use is the perfect descriptor of everything with this offense, which is fine. Like from a talent perspective, <laughs> all their players are just fine. Their running game is fine. Their receivers are fine. Carson Wentz is playing just fine this year. Um, but to your point about Reich, like. I think that this has always been a feature of his offenses, and that's his willingness to literally do anything that's, it takes yeah. to get the ball into his best player's hands. So they run inside zone, outside zone, and duo. You know, they'll run power if they have to. They run RPO. They run every style of RPO that's, that you can imagine. They run all the bunches, all the stacks, all the motions. Like, it's every piece of an offense that he can that he can cobble together. Um, you know, it's funny sometimes, you know, as a USC fan, I've, I've always been a big fan of Michael Pittman. And watching him, I'm like, this is the ultimate extension of the run game receiver that exists in the NFL. All of his, like, all of his targets are within eight yards of the line of scrimmage. And it's almost all got to be yak, right? It's, you know, he's catching a bunch of screens or he's the check down guy. They use all their tight ends as check down guys. They're not vertical threats. So I think that that's... It's been interesting just to watch an offense kind of be able to manufacture yardage down the field, you know, in all phases. They don't really have any one thing that's more explosive than the other, um, you know, and they don't have any one guy in terms of talent. You know, we'll see what T.Y. looks like once he's back, you know, and, and really back at 100%, you know, what he looks like within this offense. But they they just don't have a take-the-top-off guy, either in the run game or passing game, but they've been able to create just enough, I think, to stay competitive every week. I think with this offense, the, the thing that always scares me is, like you said, it is a bit of a, bit of a grab bag, a bit of a spread offense grab bag situation. So it's like Wentz has to be really good. And he's been really good, however, against pretty, pretty bad defenses. Like they've been a pretty easy slate of, of defenses. Obviously, last week against the Texans, can't stop anybody. Uh, Dolphins, Seahawks, just not good defenses. Uh, and there's another bad defense in there as well. So curious to see how it works when they start playing against much better defenses. They've also been weirdly good against man defenses. So they played this. They played the Ravens and had really good success. They played the Dolphins and had really good success. And then against the other zone, the zone defenses they play, and they play, they play the 49ers who are predominantly zone defense. They haven't been as good, which is, I, can't, I can't tell you why. I just know that it's been weird. Now, they were good against the Texans who play zone, but it doesn't really count. But I think the thing that, that's interesting to me is like the play action game when I watched them was, is interesting because I don't find it to be like a. Um, a play action game that's the like the concepts are like oh these are our play action concepts like um, post over is a classic it's like hey they run their it's like they run their play action to just get into the regular concepts if that makes sense and maybe maybe run them a little deeper or and because they're in the shotgun so much that's kind of what you are right shotgun play action attack is a lot different than under center play action attack which they don't do a lot so in the gun you're just getting a flash fake and then you're just going to run your deep sale concept and then that's kind of what they are so it is like, it, for me, it just, it just feels like as much as I, I do like Reich and I do like the offense, you, you put a lot of pressure on the quarterback to be really good. So he's been really good against bad defenses, but we'll see what happens when they actually play against a good defense. Right. The, the thing I would say on, on that with like Wentz being in the gun so much is like how much 
how much more does he actually want to be under center? Like, is that something you really want to get away with? Like, is that something you really want to do with Carson Wentz? Because I feel like generally he's someone who, for as long as he's been in the league, even though he's like a, a super under center guy in college, for as long as he's been in the league, he's kind of been better when he's had things a little bit more spread out for him, RPOs, that sort of stuff. So while I do kind of agree that I, I wish they could get more into their play action stuff um, from under center, like when... Um, you no, know, even Brissett was the quarterback. Luck was the quarterback. Even Rivers, I think, was the quarterback. They were they were better at that. Like, I almost wonder how much of that is is a Wentz problem rather than a Wright problem. I think to me, the one thing that's been interesting to that point is the fact that in spite of the fact that he has good arm strength, he's just never been a good tight window thrower. And I think that you know a lot of what you want to do on under center is you know very timing based, very window throw based. Um, you know, at least the way that we kind of think about like the play action game and stuff like that. And that just has never really been his best attribute in spite of what kind of arm talent that he's had when he's been healthy and at his peak. Um, I do wish that they had more of it within the offense because I think that would do a lot more for, you know, like a guy like Jonathan Taylor. You know, I think they'd be able to do even more with their run game if they were able to mix some stuff up or you had the threat of bootlegs and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, to your point, it's it's never been a comfort of his and I don't think that he's ever really performed well in it, you know, throughout his career, at least since he's left North Dakota State. Yeah, and it's like, but it, it, it just like with the Eagles, it forces him to be the offense. Exactly. Right. And then when he's, when he's bad, like he was in 2020, like the whole, like you cannot fix it. Like right. it's just mm -hmm. bad and that's it. And this is like what we always talk about. It's like, well, you know, you can just put him into a system where you can mitigate that type of stuff if if you need to now again they're having success this year so you're not going to see it because they're going to keep going with this until you know if it comes off the rails when they start playing better teams and that's a whole different story but like this is what this is what they do and i think you can you you know he is a good rpo throw to a certain degree and i you know maybe you can get into some quarterback run stuff from the gun but i think this is this is who they are it suits reich this is what reich wants to be as well um, it just it I like I said it, I think it's just concerning if if um, if they hit a wall here with some good defenses though obviously if they play really well if he continues to play as well as he's done because he's throwing the ball accurately like like this is a guy who could not throw the ball to any receiver at all last year and he's obviously settled down and he's throwing the ball accurately so maybe this is um, the new the new Carson Wentz and 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 reuniting him with Frank Reich has really worked wonders I I guess I don't know. I mean, I guess it's been just good enough so far this year. I will say a concern that I have, at least as it relates to Sunday, is the fact that San Francisco does have a little bit of a pass rush, and they can get home with four, and their offensive line has just not protected <laughs> Wentz very well, especially not in, like, must-pass situations. Um, you know, a team like Tennessee was really able to give them a lot of trouble earlier in the year with, like, simulating pressure and showing these different, like, five-down looks where you're bringing nickels or weak safeties and dropping guys out. So I would be really concerned about whether or not they can stand up on the edge and keep Wentz clean enough on Sunday in order for him to get to all of the stuff that they do well. And another thing that I've noticed now with the Niners, you know, I was kind of concerned, you know, with, with Salah leaving, what they were going to be with D'Amico Ryans because most of his career was spitting, like, you know, that attacking 3-4, attacking 4-3, where you're always in single high shells and blitzing. But he's basically, they've basically been a half-and-half middle-field open, middle-field closed team, you know, so I'm interested to see what kind of RPO game the Colts are even able to get to because they do a pretty good job of having their nickel kind of playing half-and-half 
and you have a guy like Fred Warner who can play, you know, run and pass if you get into three by one and stuff like that. And one thing that they do that's really nice, you know, and it's not something you can take take advantage of as well in the NFL game as you can in college. And that's like the weak safety triggering down into the run fit. Like you can't really do that in college because offensive linemen can work three yards down the field, so you can throw those humongous post balls, you know, those big glances behind it that you can't really throw in the NFL. So it's harder to take advantage of that. And they don't have like a Tyreek Hill, a guy who can run a 4-2 and just get in the window faster than, you know, you can cover it. So I am kind of concerned if they're not able to get to their RPO game early in the game, you know, on first and second down, and you get a guy like Bosa coming off the edge against whoever they have at tackle. Oh, God, Eric Fisher. I forgot. Eric Fisher. Yeah, yeah. And, Julie, <laughs> and Julian Davenport, like, that's, They've both been horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's not, oh not you know not a great business model. It, it can be rough. So that to me, what they do on early downs is going to be really telling to me. I think the pass rush thing is big too because like we know that Wentz has always been a guy who holds the ball, and that's fine when he's playing well and doing other things well. But like he doesn't move the way that he used to, and he's still like an okay-ish athlete. But his thing used to be that like once he broke the pocket, like he was getting away from you more often than not. That's just not the case anymore. And I think, especially when you have tackles as bad as they are and the, the, the edges of the pocket are going to be as condensed as they're probably going to be for most of this game, I think that's where you're going to start getting problems with him. All right, let's flip over to the side of the ball where the 49ers, who apparently Trey Lance is still injured, Jimmy Garoppolo is playing. And that is unfortunate because I only have information on Trey Lance in that I was going to say I wasted my entire prep <laughs> on this game. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, let's talk about Trey Lance for a bit here. Basically, they put him in the game against Seattle when Jimmy gets injured, and then he plays the next week against, oh my God, I don't even remember who. Cardinals. As basic of an offense as you can get. They just didn't give him a lot. And Shanahan said that in a, in a post-game press conference or a pre-game press conference, whatever. And I just thought it was coach speak. It's not. <laughs> like, they, run, they ran... Uh, the same concepts over and they did not give him a lot of stuff to do whether it was a run game or the pass game but with that said one of the things that's really interesting is you know for the 49ers offense is never been a pistol offense never 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 all of a sudden Trey Lance becomes quarterback here goes the running back in a pistol because they don't want to be I think what teams are realizing when you have this type of player is shotgun zone read is 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 actually for like immobile quarterbacks now if you want to go and gun if you have a mobile quarterback you got to get into the pistol and you got to run quote unquote either what you whether you want to call it duo read or via read or whatever like you got to match teams with double teams and you're not really zoning people and getting that vertical push you are you're almost sealing them and we're going to run downhill Instead of the running back, we talk about this a lot, I know, but instead of the running back coming across the quarterback's face in a, in a shotgun action, and then the running back, if you, run, if you run zone read, the running back has to read out zone. You know, you have to block it up, and the running back's going to have to read out zone. Now, obviously, you have a cutback lane because you're reading the end, whatever, but you still have to read out zone, and he's trying to hit, oftentimes, a front side A gap. Now, if you run pistol via read, you're going downhill, 
he's not coming across the quarterback's face. The quarterback is turning his shoulders to kind of be towards the sideline, and he's coming downhill. So if you're making the read right, and the and the if as a quarterback and the defensive end who you're reading plays you as the quarterback and you're giving that ball, you are downhill right now, and you're not dealing with blockers in front of you because you're just trying to wash everything down and create this 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 lane outside of the tackle's ass that you can just run through right now if, if the if the defensive end chooses to play the quarterback um and then and then the opposite way because it's happening so fast for that defensive end in front of his face he's got to make a decision now he can't it's harder for him to slow play the read and say okay well let me just shuffle 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 and then when you keep it, I can I can pop out and attack the quarterback. Like he's got to make a decision. He's got to go tackle the running back. Like, you know, and this is why um, colleges like to do this. And this is why the triple option still works from under center when you're talking about Army, Navy, Air Force, whatever. Is that that running back's got to it hits so fast you have to make a decision as a defensive end. And that's what they've done with Trey Lance to say, hey, we don't need to run this quote unquote Shanahan. And this goes back to what we're saying about what is an offense. Is it the quarterback? Is it the play caller? Whatever. This is no longer, quote-unquote, the Shanahan offense. This is the Trey Lance offense with, with a lot of Shanahan bells and whistles. But this is this is what it is now. Good. I'm glad we're in agreement on that. <laughs> uh, Derek, I do, have a qu- I do have a question for you. I think that you would have better eyes on this than, than even I would. But when I watched him in the passing game, um, you know, while he was healthy, it seemed like you know, one of the things coming out of North Dakota State that I thought was a really big feature of his abilities was his processing speed and how well he was able to work through progressions and get the ball to where it needed to be. You know, even downfield, not always looking for checkdowns, but his ability to work progressions downfield. When I'm watching him now, it really looks like he has no idea what he's looking at, that he has no idea how to work through a progression. It's like, he's bad. staring at i've never i don't i don't ever remember seeing him stare down receivers the way that he has and i don't know if that's just like a lack of trust or lack of information on how to run the offense or you know if defenses are throwing different coverage shells at him that he hadn't expected but it's very clear to me that he is like a step and a half behind on almost all of his progressions in the passing game i think for now i'm pretty willing to chalk it up to just like he's a 21 year old in a very hard offense like historically that and he didn't play football last year i think there's a lot of like really bad things um going against him there but i think you're right like when you watched lance at um north dakota state like there were plenty of plays where he's running like play action he's reading like two deep things um i don't know maybe like a scissors concept or like a flood concept to the right and then he's coming back and hitting a backside dig like that's like that's like Seth's big thing like hitting the backside dig. but like he did that all the time at north dakota state and you could see him go one to two to three in the pocket you know, slide up one way if he had to and still knew where he needed to go with the ball. Like, you saw him do that all the time, like, in every single game. And now, I think to your point, like, he's a lot of, like, he knows, you know, Nate Tice uh, frames it this way. Like, he knows what the first route is on the play. After that, it gets a little dicey, Um, especially if he has to work from, like, one side to the other. I think he's not been very good at that. Um, and, And, like, even... I think it was like a third and 11 against the Cardinals. He threw like an awesome dig route to Muhammad Sanu. But like the thing is, the best quarterbacks in that scenario would be able to read out whatever is front side and like kind of hold the safety over there if they're playing like too high so he can't come pin down on it and then come back, be able to come back to that dig. 
he can't do that right now. He just knows that like the dig should be open behind this linebacker. Therefore, I'm going to stare at it and throw it. And he did that. And it kind of let the safety pin down on it a little bit. And I think Sanu kind of heard footsteps when he was about to catch the ball. And that's why he dropped it. So I think that's sort of the problem that you're having with Lance now. And again, I think I chalked this a little bit more up to like inexperience. Um, didn't play football for a while. Um, that sort of thing. But if this continues by, you know, if, if he's playing again by the end of November or something and he still looks this way. I would be a little bit more concerned, but I mean, I guess we'll just have to see. Yeah, he, he went the wrong way on a run play against the Cardinals. Oh, it was like the first play of the game, right? Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> he and he and I think he just kept the ball and got like ten yards or something because it's mm-hmm. Trey Lance. Because he can, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then there was the one where, um, again, our friend Nate Tice posted where they're running like the front side concept is to his right, and those backside digs you're talking about are are coming from left to right, but then he takes his drop back and he looks to the left. And it's like, you're, I, I, I want to chalk it up. I, cause I like Lance. I want to chalk it up to, he's fucking nervous. Mm-hmm. Like that's the only thing I could say is that, cause it's weird how much different he looks in the passing game than we're used to. Because look, at the end of the day, yes, I know he's a young quarterback, but quarterbacks come out and they, they should be, it's weird. Like we don't see this often, even for young quarterbacks. Um, not just 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 looking totally out of it um, in terms of what they're supposed to do on a play. So hopefully, like you said, hopefully that gets better. If it doesn't, then, then we're gonna have to start really talking about it if you just can't figure it out. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of the the thing they're doing. One of the interesting things that the 49ers are doing too is they're using use check in the backfield a lot, as a as a like next to the quarterback and gun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have I don't have the percentages in front of me, but it's basically like they rarely did this, and they kind of did it I think in 2017, and then they did not do it in like 18, 19, 20, and now they're back to putting him in the backfield. And I think this bodes really well for what they can do in the run game. So. Instead of it being a lot too, they're probably stealing. They're probably stealing some stuff from the Ravens because, like, the Ravens. Oh, this this, the run game is all Ravens, dude. Yeah, (laughs) it's all Ravens. (laughs) Um, So, like, what they can do now is instead of okay, now if you put like whoever the running back is, like the the hat, the halfback, the tailback in gun next to Lance, then you have to do what I said and run zone read. Which I'm not saying zone read is a bad thing, but like that's what you kind of have to do. Whereas if you when you put a fullback. And obviously, a really good fullback and use check. All of a sudden, now here's quarterback power. Now you know from that gun position. Now here's quarterback counter. Now here's all this stuff that you can do. That's really interesting. Using uh, use check as a lead blocker. They don't really do anything that interesting in the pass game when they do throw with him. He really just runs to the flat a lot. But I think there's a lot of really cool stuff they can do with him there. And honestly, even if Jimmy Jimmy G is playing quarterback, they can do some fun stuff with him um, in the backfield because he's such a unique player and obviously the league's MVP. So. I will say, I will say, I do think the the corollary between what the Niners are right now and what the Ravens had been early in Lamar's career actually extends beyond just the running game. Because if you go back and watch, you know, the Arizona game from an all twenty two perspective, you can see that all of Lance's best work comes when the field is completely spread. So if they want to run the ball, you get into what you said, you know, that pistol stuff where you get all of those different, you know, those follow motions, you get those arc blocks and you're getting downhill. And then when you have to pass, it's all, all this best stuff comes from like 10 personnel looks or, or getting into like true empty. And that's when, you know, you can space the field out as much as possible. And then he's able to work in much wider windows and he can be his own check down. So I think that, you know, to your point, 
I think that for me, I'm, I'm chalking it up not only to him getting comfortable, but Shanahan realizing that this has to be a different kind of offense. You can't do the completely precise 11 personnel. We have we can run all of our drop back stuff, both from the gun and under center, you know, and, and, and asking your quarterbacks to have to see all of these different things at one time. You know, like I think that even Jimmy, you know, for all of his shortcomings, I thought that he's he's pretty he was pretty efficient at his best working through a lot of that stuff. And it kind of serves, you know, it serves to reason considering where he came from before he was in San Francisco. Right. Like that's a high degree of difficulty offense as well in New England. For Lance, even though I do think that he will eventually have the ability to be able to play, you know, from regular old 11 or 12 personnel and run that drop back game, you know, from tight splits and everything. Right now, I do think you should, they should probably lean into kind of gimmicking the offense out in the passing game and just brace it out as much as possible and liberate him to use his legs, you know, whenever he can. Yeah, you know, we, we, we make fun of Garoppolo for like being linebacker blind like four times a game. But that offense, like, now the offense was like designed for Garoppolo because they didn't think he had the arm strength, so they had to bring everything in. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was tough because you're always reading this option route to dig, you know, option route to basic. Like it was really hard, like all these high lows on linebackers. So eventually you're going to be blind to one. He's going to pick you off. Um, but that's, that's exactly what you're saying that they should not and are not doing with Trey Lance. That would be, that would be not well for him. Uh, so I agree with you, and it, and it does yeah. remind me that the, the Ravens early in Lamar's career, you know, the MVP year, empty. They're absolutely hammering teams. Like one of the best empty teams that we've seen because, like you said, he can be his own check down and he can just play in space. And that helps a player like Lamar, like Trey Lance. So last thing I'll say on it, I just looked at the data. All of, all of the dropbacks he has with a negative EPA per play happen with the tight end attached or with two backs <laughs> in the backfield. And every single one of his positive EPA per play dropbacks happen when the field is split, like all of them. And, you know, all, his best graded his best graded formation to pass out of has been empty. So, you know. But th- this is what we talk about a lot. It's like the more spread you get, the more one-on-ones you're creating. Exactly. Which was which was the whole idea of the spread 25 years ago where, where defenses couldn't play these one-on-ones. Now defenses play these one-on-ones, which means you have to have really good one-on-one players and obviously a tight end, even when he's split out, George Kittle is one of them, but the quarterback, Trey Lance specifically, Lamar Jackson, um, you know, all these guys, Mahomes in the spread system, they can be one-on-one players. And, and obviously, that's what you're hoping for with a Trey Lance, whereas Garoppolo, if you spread him out, cannot be a one-on-one player. Right. I think, too, the last thing I would say on why Lance is struggling to do a lot of the, the condensed formation throw over the middle of the field, stuff like that, whereas, like, Jimmy can, is, like, a, a lot of the times, those windows don't look open. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to just believe in the system that it's going to be there and that you've repped this a hundred times, and that you know that if you throw this on this timer, that you're going to be able to get it over the linebacker. It's why Ryan Tannehill is as good as he is at what he does. Like, he has an awesome arm, and he's going to hit the top of that drop, and he's going to rip it no matter what, and somehow the ball gets over the linebacker every time. Like, that's just, you just have to have that faith in the system and in your arm to do that, and Lance does have the arm to do that, but like, when the windows look different in the NFL, and you don't have that much, that many reps doing it, I think it's hard to believe that those things are actually open when they very much don't look open a lot of the time. And like even Jared Goff, like 
I think Jared Goff could do it because he didn't think about whether it was open or not. He just threw it. Right. And like <laughs> he was kind of like a good enough. He has a good enough arm talent that if you point him in the right direction and say just throw this, he's going to do it a lot of the time. Like he can do that. So I think that's that's kind of the issue that Lance is having with uh, with that. Is he kind of just has to believe like it's going to be there if I throw it, and I think he just has to let it go. But it's tough. It, it is, especially when you're as young as he is. Uh, before we move on, uh, Deontay, Colts defense, anything interesting? No. It's my least, <laughs> okay, and I, all right, my uh, least favorite kind of defense. They're First, cowards. I watch, it's, so, it's just so jarring, right? In, in the college game, it, I don't even think twice about teams that just play soft zone coverage all the time because that's just the way you play in college. But when Bro. you see an NFL team do it, oh, my God, it is the softest style of defense in the world. And the fact that I have to watch my favorite team do it every Sunday – absolutely murders me i can't take it be real man as derek will say grow up (laughs) fight back (laughs) i i just happened yesterday i just happened to watch three big 10 defenses uh nebraska iowa and michigan and iowa and michigan have good defenses here we talked a lot about iowa this whole year obviously when they were undefeated they get they lose to purdue but like that's just they just run defense like i don't know how else to put it like they just play defense like the colts do they just like play a defense uh they line up in two high safeties they play a four down like a four two five they line up with two high safeties and then they play zone they play cover four sometimes they play like you know um uh jesus christ i forgot the 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 d'antonio thing press quarters uh you know they play press quarters so yeah your man on the outside and your zone in the middle okay whatever it's the same thing it's cover four and then they spin down and play cover three. They never play man. They just don't. They're just like, well, we're not, not going to do that. And that's kind of like the Colts. Like, they just play soft zone, and, like, that's what they do. And then it can, it can work. And, like, Iowa is a good example of what we talk about a lot, which is, hey, if you want to play too high, have two good interior defensive tackles. They have, they have two really good ones. So there you go. Um, yeah, so anyways, that, that, that – uh, all right, Colts defense. Check that off the list. All right, next we want to talk about um, – Derek, I believe this is your favorite quarterback because you share a first name with him. Um, Derek Carr is playing really good this season. What have you seen with him? He is playing really well this season. And the thing is, like, Derek Carr is, he has been a very good quarterback for a long time. But, like, when you go back to, like, 2018, 2019 in particular, like, he was wicked efficient in, like, the 1 to 10 yard area. And just, like, if you gave him an ounce of space, he was going to take it every time on, like, a stick route, slant whatever he, he always knew what your leverage was and how to beat it um but he wasn't going to press you down the field and he was going to try to beat you by a, a thousand paper cuts and i think what we've seen we started to see it last year where he was a little bit more willing to open up like he'd always been a good shot play guy like if you call it um and that's like the only thing that you can throw is the deep breath like he can do it he's always been able to put those on the money but like he wasn't always as willing to throw down the field if that was not the only thing on the play um or if he got like uh, pressure or if he got pushed off of his spot, he used to just be completely unwilling to push the ball down the field in those scenarios. I think what we're starting to see this year more is like, if the pocket is unclean, he's very willing to just be like, well, I know Henry Ruggs is down there and I know he has a step. I'm just gonna throw it. Or he's been more willing to be like, okay, I know how my guy's gonna work back to the ball here. Like we saw one play against, um, I think it was the Bears. He had like, it was like a deep play action concept. One guy was crossing one way. I think Ruggs was crossing deeper over the other way. And like Ruggs had to come back to the ball and Carr had to like scramble, get out of the pocket a little bit to make that work. And like, that's just not the kind of play he used to make. And then there was another play against Denver where it was like third and 12. Ruggs is running a post 
and like three rushers get through, and he just rips well, it off. They're playing cover foot. zero. Yeah, it's like yeah, the same just... stuff. Like Aaron Rodgers makes that throw a lot, and like obviously Derek Carr is not Aaron Rodgers, but like the fact that he has kind of made that development where he's willing to make that throw, like. 2019 car probably just shrivels up and takes a sack like that's just the reality of things that's just what he did or maybe try to throw it away and, and get a penalty but like he's a lot more willing now i think when things are not perfect he he knows he's more okay with things not being perfect and just willing to press the ball down the field and i think especially with Ruggs's development and with waller being as good as he is um i think it's just been it, it's been a really good thing for their offense when the offensive line is not very good, and they can't run the ball. So I think it's been very important that he's been able to make this development for their offense. I, mean, I think the, the most important thing, I don't have much to add, but I think the most important thing is that Carr, just as a quarterback, has an understanding now of how defenses are playing. Like, I thought mm-hmm. that that Ravens game to open the season was really instructive, right? Because when he was trying to force-feed Waller in those short to intermediate areas, there's just nothing there. And the second that he realized, like, oh, that's right, everybody's sitting on my checkdowns. I have mm-hmm. to throw the ball over the top. Even if the protection's not clean, it's opened up a lot for this offense. So that willingness alone, and it's not like he's never had the arm talent to do it. So right. I'm just, I'm, I'm glad that, I don't know, to your point, maybe he just grew up, you know, <laughs> and decided he had to be a real quarterback for once. Um but seeing him actually take those shots down the field has been has been the, one of my favorite revelations this season. And I think not even down the I mean down the field has been the big thing. But like there were a lot of instances, man, where like 2018, 2019 car, where like they would maybe have like you know every offense has like dig flat where where it like but car historically speaking would just take the flat. He would yep. take the free five six yards. Now I think we're seeing he's a lot more willing to just rip the dig in there. Um, even if it's like tight coverage, even if he thinks he has to barely beat a linebacker, like he, he's been a lot more confident. I, I don't know if he, if you know he's grown up. I don't know if he's just really likes these receivers and really trusts them. I don't know what it is, but he's just a lot more willing to make the tough throws on the field, which is not always something that's been true for him. I there was a throw that he made uh, against Denver to Rugs where Ruggs is in a condensed split and runs a skinny post um, just, just outside the hash. Was it a touchdown? I don't remember now. It was a I big play, so. though. Yeah. Uh, they were on their own side of the field, maybe on like their own 40 or 30 or something like that. And he... So they're playing like a one-high thing. The, the the Broncos are playing a one-high thing. and I think Justin Simmons is the one-high safety. Mm-hmm. But because of the formation, he's pushed off the opposite hash. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, he's not like in the middle of the field, but he's not that far from the middle of the field. And Henry Ruggs, his split is condensed, so he is closer to the middle of the field, running like just a vertical route down there. And Rugg and um, Carr holds the safety, holds Justin Sims just enough to get the ball over back to to Ruggs on this go route, which I don't think you would have saw because it is a tight throw. Um, mm-hmm. Because, like I said, even though Justin Sims is off the opposite hash is not that far and he's not that far from Henry Ruggs like geographically so I think that was something that I never seen from him before making that type of kind of deep tight window throw and it's obviously partly is just hey we have this player who can run fucking fast so let's throw him the throw him the football <laughs> obviously like and that's the thing too like I think Derek Carr is just more willing to beat defenders like whereas a lot of if they were throwing shot plays a lot of the time like previously it would be he just thought he had a one-on-one on the sideline. Didn't have to be an extra safety. You just have to beat the corner. 
or a lot of times like if they were throwing i don't know a post it was they were beating it because the safety was nailing down on a crosser or it was too high and he's only one-on-one against the safety like that sort of thing where Carr used to be able to like throw these one-on-ones where he only has to beat a guy now i think he's a lot more willing to beat like windows and beat where you know the defense is actually trying to squeeze you and stuff and i think to your point especially on that play like the fact that he's a lot more willing to do that it's just man it's done so much for their passing offense gotta be willing to attack the middle of the field man like you just have to yeah uh whether it's football success or financial savvy the right questions help set the stage for winning strategies Western and Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Consworth to share insights that can help you put ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Want to hear about Chris's old playing days or behind the scenes with Al Michaels on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Now you can ask about either or both. And every football or financial question you ask earns you a chance to win a catered party for February's big game. Uh, check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast um, and Western and Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that is westernandsouthern.com slash askchris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Also... Um, one of our favorite partners on the uh, Too High podcast is Homefield Apparel. Homefield is a premium collegiate clothing brand out of Indianapolis. Incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. Homefield is in the middle of big new Saturday season two, where they launch a new school collection every Saturday at noon for 16 straight weeks. Um, so they've done Georgia. I saw Georgia Tech. I saw North Carolina, Florida, a whole bunch. Um, but this Saturday, they're releasing another. So go to homefieldapparel.com and use promo code PFF to get 15% off your first purchase. That's homefieldapparel.com, promo code PFF for 15% off uh, your first purchase. All right, let's get into a little bit of scheme talk with um, with you, Derek. You wanted to talk about something that happens on 0.06% of all NFL snaps. So the floor is yours to talk about split that gun. Yeah, so this was, I had you look this up because what I'm learning is happening here is it's one of those things where you like realize the value of a particular scheme thing or a player or something maybe. Um, And so you like hyper focus on whenever it happens and you think it's happening more than it is when in reality it's really not. Uh, But for me that's been split back gun and I think what is so interesting about split back gun is like you can really see from team to team like why. What, What is split back gun? Oh, split back gun. So, like, you're obviously in, you know, your regular shotgun formation. You would have quarterback in the middle, running back next to them. Split back gun, you have a, a running back on both sides of them. Um, and so, uh, like, why I think it's so cool is, like, you obviously, what you give up um, is that you just can't have as many immediate guys in the passing route. Like, you just don't have as many guys up on the line of scrimmage, which obviously has some certain drawbacks. Um, but to me, why I think it's so cool is, like, one of the things you can do is you can kind of push both of them out as like chip help um, and you can pretty much guarantee that you're not going to get edge pressure. And I think against particular matchups that can be really valuable um, in doing that. And then like, obviously when you chip those guys, you're getting quicker bodies out into as your checkdowns, as opposed to maybe chipping with a tight end. And then that guy, obviously you can still throw him the ball, but he's not going to be as good in space typically. Um, And I think you see, you know, the Texans do a lot of that. Um, where they're having both guys chip, like when they go to split back gun, that's kind of something that they do. Um, 
I think even the 49ers might have had a rep of doing that that I had posted at some point. Um, so that's one of the things you can do. And then the Steelers run see, split zone from it, I think. Yeah, yeah. See, that's that's another thing you can do is like you can get like split flow with the two running backs. Even the Texans have done that. I remember doing that. So, and then you can even like play action off of that split action. Um, like I think the Ravens actually had a rep of that even just last week, um, which I think can be really tricky because then you can get a guy who is pretty much going straight into the flat, like off of your run action, which I think is, is kind of can just be a, a, a nightmare for linebackers. Um, I think it was, uh, I think it was Kaiser White that they got like on the, the Ravens did that play action that he kind of just, his head was spinning. He didn't really know where he was supposed to be going. Um, but then you do look at a team like the Cardinals and even like, I think the Chargers kind of use it this way when they go split back on is like, they're using it to stretch you horizontally in like the option game or um, they'll like quick flare motion one guy out to where they're they're getting like a just a quick screen out to the side and then they have like a run action off of that. They're trying to stress you horizontally. They don't really care about what they're doing it with pass protection or or any of that sort of stuff. They're they're trying to lean into what they do generally as an offensive philosophy. And I think it's just like another tool for them to do it, which I think is really cool when um, I think especially in the Cardinals um, situation, like they have really they have two good running backs that they can kind of get away with doing that with. So I think it's just one of those things. It's obviously not like I don't want any offense to be 50% split back gun or anything crazy, but I think it's a really cool tool that um, a lot of smart offenses are using right now. Right. I got nothing to say. Everything you said you could just do from other <laughs> formations. So I don't even, I'm not even going to qualify anything you wow. said with the response. Big hater wow. energy. <laughs> I actually, the, the one other thing I'll say is actually not having, um, as many immediate like pass catchers in the route can be bad in certain ways. I think if you have a great quarterback, because obviously if you have a great quarterback, he can read all that stuff. If you have a guy who either is not as comfortable reading the entire field or just has such great arm talent that he can just fit like a, a tight window that if you know a guy's running a stop route or whatever, you can kind of get away with doing that and only having three guys in the route and then shoring up your pass protection with these two guys on the edge. Um, like, you know, that that's why the Texans do it because I don't think they trust Davis Mills right. to really read out the full field. They can just tell him like, hey, man, just throw the over the ball route and we're going to make sure that you're protected, that sort of thing. So I think it has value in that sense too. My favorite thing about this, every year, every year, my, my good pal Derek has had one for, <laughs> at least one formation that he's leaned all the way into, you know, and I love that. I think that now it's probably tempered more, but, you know, I remember, uh, what was it? Was it the empty with the two with the two wings, or it might have been, like, uh, the old sniffer two-back stuff, or, like, this is P- the future. Pistol H-back yes, stuff. Yes, yeah, that, yeah, that was yeah, the future yeah. for a while. I, this <laughs> is good because this is I'm the best bit on. yet. Because there have been 80 split back gun plays out of 15,000 <laughs> plays run. And I've seen them all. Hey, that's the future. <laughs> uh, I, I, I do think you could do some good misdirection, like you said, the splits on stuff. It's just like, you just, I'll do it from other, you can just do it from H-back. You can just well, do I mean, that. Yeah. To me, the, I mean, the, the like, past what you're stuff, describing. You can just do it from empty, you know. What he was describing as far as like back releasing into the flat and all that, like that's literally been the, the Ravens play action game for the mm. last four years was Lamar. You know, it, it may not be out of split back gun, but it's the same idea. Like I've watched Andy Reid use like the near back far back stuff when he was coaching at Philadelphia. You know, that old school West Coast offense, we're gonna flare our fullback or flare our halfback out in the route and we can still run all of our regular protections out of it because we're not investing, you know, getting five guys out all the time. You can still kind of get that horizontal stretch. So 
you know, it, it's just funny. All this stuff cycles so much. And I know that we've said this on this podcast a thousand times over, but it it kills me, you know, just how much of, how much this stuff cycles over time. And, and now it's just different presentations to get to the exact same thing that was happening in the mid 80s. That That's the part that kind of blows my mind. Look, under center split back. Like if I'm going to go under center, I might use some split back. Uh, if that was going to be like my offense, um, mm. because I just like the aesthetic of those old like West Coast teams when they were super split back and they were doing some cool stuff with in the run game from under center. But uh, I'm out on split back gun. Sorry, Derek. Matt Nagy is the only guy I can remember in the past few years who does any of that. And it's like yeah. two plays a year. <laughs> yeah, always. It's always the Bears. Uh, okay, we're going to talk about something that happens not 0.6% of the time. But this year, 23% of the time specifically, and that is teams, like we finally have data for something that me and Deontay have talked about a fucking lot on this podcast, which is the dilemma that defensive coordinators are having right now in the modern NFL, how to stop modern NFL offenses. 23% of the time this year, highest we've seen in many, 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 many years there is a nose tackle lined up, so a nose tackle as an, a zero technique right on top of the center on a first down snap. And that has been climbing every year uh, for about four years, uh, basically since the Legion of Boom and that, that defense took over the league. The issue, so why is that? My understanding of football is that the reason you play with the nose is to get into bare fronts. And a bare front means five defensive linemen, a nose right over the uh, the center, two three techniques over the guards or just outside the guards, and then two defensive ends, you know, wherever they are, whether they're lined up outside the tackle or outside a tight end, whatever. That is a zone stopper. I mean, it's anytime you put a lot of defensive linemen on the field on the line of scrimmage, you're going to be a good run stopping front, but it really is a zone stopping team because it prevents double teams. Everyone is covered. You know, both guards are covered and the center, so they can't double team and get vertical push or a horizontal push on um, on defensive players, and that frees up linebackers to make plays. And, and again, it's specifically a very good against zone. Well, the NFL is a zone league. Uh, well, football is a zone. You know, college football too is everything's zone. So that is what you get. Like so, NFL says, hey, we need to stop. Outside zone specifically, what are we going to do? We're going to play with five defensive linemen. We're going to play in bare fronts, and we're going to stop it like that. The issue is now, if you're playing with five defensive linemen, you are losing a player at the next levels, You know, either in the secondary level or the tertiary level. Uh, so, so you get um, – ends up you, – what you want to be is in a 5-2. Sorry, sorry. I shouldn't say that. So what you end up with is less players to cover pass routes and less players at the second level, with the linebacker level. So teams are saying, okay, well, we, don't have, we, we can't just play with one linebacker on the field in the intermediate area. We want to play with two. So that means we have to spin a safety down or put another linebacker on the field and only play with one safety. But we have a problem because what is modern NFL saying? We need to play with two high safeties. So this is a dilemma that... NFL defenses are facing because we want to play with two high safeties to eliminate crossing routes from this um, outside zone boot action that we see all the time. 
but we don't want to leave just one linebacker at field because that leaves so much like space between that one linebacker in the field when there's two safeties behind him. So this is just the the the, the issues we see, and then the numbers show up because you see a lot less quarters and cover two and cover six when teams play with a nose. So yeah, it's just the, the, the issues that come with this kind of stopping this new style of offense. Now, of course, you could just do what colleges do and play tight front without any C-gap defenders, and then you can live in a too high road whenever you want, but NFL defenses are not ready for that just yet. I mean, the truth is that NFL defenses kind of can't do that because the tackles are too good. You'll get zoned. Yeah. You'll get outside zone to absolute death if you tried that. Um, but I mean, it all comes. It it's it bases out of the same idea, which is that if you want to be in too high, you got to close the bubbles, right? Like you just can't leave interior gaps open if you want to be in a too high shell, especially not against the spread. So it, it doesn't shock me to see that the data supports that, and it's the best way in the NFL to take away that kind of that quote-unquote conflict right you don't always want to have to ask the guy that you're paying 12 million dollars a year to rush the passer that he's got to play a primary gap to a secondary gap when you can just get another 310 pound guy to stand in the b gap and eat up the space so that to me it's just interesting seeing how they kind of problem solve because you don't want to be in four down and being too high in against the outside zone team and the fact that this is the answer and this used to be the answer to offenses and again in the 80s so it just it trips me out you know just the cyclical nature of this stuff you would you could have never convinced me in 2008 when a lot of the spread stuff really started taking yeah. off that you would have to that you would go back and kind of retrofit some of these like 80s approaches to stopping you know 70s and 80s approaches to stopping offenses to the modern era and we just continue to see that year over year Derek thoughts on bears bear friends uh i mean i think just to your point that you've, you've made this on twitter a lot of the times is like if you line up in this like what is basically a 5-2 front or 3-4 however you want to say it you're either telling the defense or telling the offense like we're going to bring five you're going to bring your five guys who are paid to rush the passer or you're going to drop one of them into coverage and that ends up with if you know depending on whatever their formation is you might have like this is a problem that the bears have sometimes they have robert quinn dropping out to to cover a slot receiver that sucks Dude. man like robert quinn is a great player but like <laughs> von miller when uh, who are they playing against oh my god um anyways the team went trips to the field mm-hmm. and Kilo mack is playing nickel basically because yeah. they have and to walk like- him out yeah, and it's like there are some outside linebackers who are like can do that, but like, dude, there's that's just not that cannot like, be your answer. It can't be your that answer. That can't be your answer. The, I'm sorry. The only thing that is somewhat interesting to me in that regard is like I feel like we've seen Arizona do a little bit of this, and they actually put Isaiah Simmons on the edge, which I think is interesting because he can kind of rush the passer enough. And if you drop him in to cover the slot, like, he can do that, too. And he's obviously, like, a unicorn in that sense, and not every team has that. But, like, that's one of those funky answers that, like, a team in a very particular situation can kind of get away with to, to solve this. Uh, the Seahawks last year, when they still had K.J. Wright. Now, K.J. Yeah. Wright plays, you know, the Sam and the Bear, which is a defensive lineman. Exactly. But he's K.J. Wright. So, like, you get a pass right. set. You, get, you can always be like, oh, okay, wait a minute. Let's just move K.J. Wright out of here. Or we can mm-hmm. just drop him from the line of scrimmage and, and know that we're getting a good, a good dropper out of it. So, yeah, there's ways teams mm-hmm. can defend it. But it, it, what, it, what it really means is the body types 
are changing in the NFL. Like you can't like if you this is going to be something. And again, I, only twenty three percent of the time on first down that we see this, but that's still a number that is gro- going up. It's been growing up by three percent every year. So you know, it's one in every five plays. And next year, if it's one out of every four plays, uh, you know that that's um, that's that's a big number too. So. Uh, yeah, I think it's really interesting how the the defensive end position is going to have to kind of change body types, or, or at least one of the two is going to have to kind of change body types. Dude, I'm telling you, peak Bruce Irvin would have been like the guy for this because there were instances in Seattle where I mean, obviously he was a pass rusher, but they would have him like carry wheel routes as a flat player, as like a pass rusher, and he could do it. So like, I, I wish we could got could have got like peak peak Bruce Irvin in this kind of you know this era of defense or whatever. Did you guys know that it's football season? And did you guys know what that means? It means we're going for two here with the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. Blitzing through Harris has never been easier, and it's time for you, yes, you listener, to join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using promo code PFF at manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping uh, for all your orders, I guess. Uh, It's three and out the window with all the trimmers. Now go tame that Wildcat offense. The brand newer, the brand new Lawnmower 4.0 is here to take your defense to the next level. I'm sorry, it's here to take your D. Fence to the next level. This fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on off switch that can engage a travel lock, uh, and gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when you need it for a more precise shave. Did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? Rain, snow, or sleet are no match for the waterproof power of the 4.0. Uh, that 4,000 LED spotlight um, is wild to have on a to have on a razor. I've used it to try and find a, the remote control that I lost underneath my couch last night, and it was perfect. So um, yeah, get on that if you need um, a flashlight and a razor built in one. Uh, so again, get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code PFF at Manscaped.com. 20% off, free shipping at Manscaped.com, promo code PFF. Stiff arm your pubes out of the playoffs this year with Manscaped. All right, um, last two things we're going to talk about are the two articles that me and Deontay wrote um, for the website, uh, pfl.com. First, you wrote about, Deontay, you wrote about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and how they're changing their offense quite a little bit. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, right now, they've obviously been great on offense this year. You know, I wouldn't say that they've had any problems with their offense, but I think the way that it's looked has been different, and a lot of it is just because they're not mauling teams out of those 12 and 13 personnel sets the way that they were able to last year. You're running a ton of duo, and then out of duo, you're running those, like, deep, you know, play-action concepts where you can get a tight end up the seam. You get a guy like Mike Evans on a, on a skinny post, and, you know, Chris Godwin or Antonio Brown on that sail route or whatever. Like, that was one of their money plays, and it just hasn't been the same this year. But they've been able to maintain their efficiency and their effectiveness on offense, basically like just by playing the hits, doing what every other good offense in the NFL is doing, just getting to 11, 11 personnel, tight splits with your receivers, and you just yeah. run a bunch of duo and outside zone, and you're just like you're just absolutely punishing the edge, um, and that's. It's crazy to see just how effective that is in the NFL, and a lot of it is just because it takes such a different approach to defending those two plays and defending tight splits from receivers in general. 
that you can really put defenses in a bind and they're so explosive with their receiving core that the second that they catch you leaning and putting too many guys up near the line of scrimmage, they're just going to eat you alive with their play action game. And their level of efficiency when it is play fakes out of 11 personnel is ridiculous. Like, so it just trips me out to see, you know, it's much different now than what it was last year in terms of how they're getting to their explosive plays, but their explosive plays all the same. And the, the fact that they were able to basically pick up on a new style of offense four weeks into the season because this wasn't something that they were doing to open the year. is like, oh, we can be just as explosive doing this as we were doing everything we did last year. No big deal. You know, having a 45-year-old quarterback who can do all of this, you know, defying the natural laws of age and science, um, it, it just is a trip to watch. And they have all the talent that you need in order to, to get away with, you know, basically picking up a new style of offense halfway through the year. Uh, we haven't really talked about the Saints a lot, but the Saints are doing the same thing. The Saints have just decided, hey, we're going to be outside zone. That's it. It's going to be outside zone. No, it hasn't worked. The efficiency has been a lot different than the <laughs> Buccaneers. Um, and a lot of that has to do with their they're not very good interior players that they've had to start on the offensive line. But, yeah, it's the same thing. Like, every team is just like, – it's funny how they just – teams are like, all right, this is it. This is the meta. Like, I don't care who we are anymore. Like, we're just going to get into this stuff. And, you know, not to, like, bogart this with Saints talk right now, but, like – some of that has to do with Kamara being the only viable running back on that team and him being more of an outside zone runner um, than, like, you know, you put it in Mark Ingram, you put it in Lat Murray, and you can run your duo downhill run. So it's a little different. But still, um, that's, all they, that's all the Saints do this year is run outside zone. So, yeah, it's like the Buccaneers doing the same thing. Um, you have thoughts on the Bucks? Tom Brady, Godwin, uh, Mike Evans, Ali Marpet, Derek, thoughts, anything? Uh, so I first mean, thing that comes – let's do word association – What's oh, the first God. thing uh, that comes to your mind when I say Tristan Wirfs? Good. <laughs> Good. All right. <laughs> All right. That's a too high podcast, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. Thought, any thoughts on the on the Buccaneers? Um, I, I guess I would just ask Deontay. Like, I, I mean, they were more of like a, a duo, and like they, they were trying to do some more gap stuff last year in particular. Um, and they were more of a twelve personnel team. I think to your point, like, have do you think that they've been significantly worse doing those things? Or do you think they've just wanted to make this evolution into I, doing more 11 outside zone, that sort of thing? I don't know if I would say worse. I think that there just hasn't been a progression within mm -hmm. doing those things. And I think that they okay. found, I think when they ran out, the, when they started running outside zone was in basically in week four against Miami, which makes a lot of sense, right? Because they're a heavy man team. You're just running these, you're running the run support players off and then just hitting these creases on the inside. And I think that they realized like, Wait, not only was that a good game plan thing, but, like, we're actually good at this. Like, we have the offensive linemen that can move bodies to do this. Um, and Leonard Fournette actually happens to be a pretty good outside zone runner. Like, I really, would have thought that. Like, the fact that he can actually put his foot in the ground, you know, in the C-gap, get upfield, and obviously be in the load that he is. Like, if he catches a safety rolling down and run support, he's going to win that more times than not. Um and I think they've just stuck with it from there. They still have a decent amount of their inside zone, their powers, their counters, a little bit of pin and pull stuff. Like, they still have a pretty diverse run profile. I just think that what they found now is because Godwin's been so good, I think specifically, and Brown's been so good, I don't think that they can find justification for taking one of those guys off the field as often. Mm. And the fact that Godwin is such a good blocker and Mike Evans is such a good blocker they can run 12 personnel runs out of 11 personnel because you got these guys who can go 
dig out linebackers and, and safeties, you know, and run support. So I think that it's just it's served as a really good counterpunch in because of what outside zone does in terms of setting up play action game, like it's just been such a valuable counterpunch for them. Um, it, and now that they do it, it, the more that I watch it, I'm like, well, why didn't you guys just do this all the time? Like, you guys could have literally killed everybody with this. Um, so I'm not surprised that they they basically pivoted and been just as just as explosive as they were last year. Yeah, I see uh, regular season last year versus regular season this year. They've doubled their rate of outside zone. So that's it's a lot. I mean, it's not that we're doing it that much, but still they've doubled it. Um, Okay, uh, before we get to the last thing, I just want to remind you guys that if you go on pff.com, you can get 25% off any PFF subscription with the promo code too high. That's T W O T W O H I G H. Uh, grades and data are live for every single player who logged the snap last week. Go check out the highest graded players from week seven. What else can you get? Well, you can get our locked out of our content, which means Deontay's Tampa Bay Buccaneers article and my Dak Prescott article, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, PFF's NFL and college football betting dashboards, grade power proje- projections, cover probabilities, and betting values. A zero to 100 grades of every single player, including the top rookies on every team. Player prop tool, which shows the negative and positive value for every NFL prop, and much, much more. Support the podcast and use promo code too high T W O H I G H for twenty five percent off any subscription. All right. Um, last but not least, Dallas Cowboys are hammering teams. Um, uh, absolutely hammering teams. Dak Prescott is unbelievable right now. But the coolest thing for me is, and I think they made this decision before the season started, uh, and it's proving very good dividends. Uh, now that Michael Gallup is out. So last year, they were this, especially when Prescott was on the field, they were this unbelievably high rate of 11 personnel because they were like, oh, look at all these great receivers we have. We have Michael Gallup and we have Michael Gallup, X it's like perfect prototypes. Michael Gallup, X receiver. Uh, Mark Cooper, Z receiver. Uh, CeeDee Lamb, slot receiver. So good. Like, and, and we're so good. And it's great. And Dak Prescott, can, you can get away with it because you're spread and you have a really good quarterback. But what they decided to do this year was say, hey, we have these two tight ends. And we talked about this, um, I think, three weeks in a row now. But I wrote the article about it. They have cut their 11 personnel, person, personnel percentage down uh, from 79% last year with Dak in the game to 55% this year with Dak in the game. And that is allowing them to mash the fuck out of people. Duo runs, downhill, all day, put two tight ends on the field. They lead the league in snaps where two tight ends are touching each other. You know, two tight ends are lined up on mm-hmm. the same side. And they are just mashing teams. And then Dak Prescott is being uh, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Is there something you're seeing from Dak, Derek, that, that you're really liking this year? I mean, not necessarily any different than, like, he's been the past couple of years. I mean, I think... We said this even coming into the year, like he was probably the fourth or fifth best quarterback in the league, and he's playing like maybe the best right now. But I think the way that he just handles pre-snap, the way that um, he just throws with incredible timing, his accuracy is mostly outstanding. Like, I don't think we're seeing anything different from Dak in terms of like an execution standpoint. Um, I think he's pretty much always been this good. I think kind of to your point, the offense has really just, I think, done a better job of not like pigeonholing themselves into this oh i mean we have these receivers we have to be 11 they're like no we have because even for as good as all those receivers are like 
None of them were particularly great underneath options, in my opinion, which I think is kind of the value we're seeing with some of these tight ends that they're using now. It's like these guys are a little bit better. Name their tight um, ends. Stalton Schultz and Blake Jarwin. I, I know their tight ends. <laughs> I know that you don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who the hell he called the last, the last time we talked about it. Was it was Gavin Escobar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I, th- I think they're just, it- it's kind of like the stuff that I love with Frank Reich, where like he knows that he has all these different pieces and is going to stress you and, and get the value out of all of their strengths being on the field at the same time. Um, and I think that that's really valuable. Like there's no like, when they have, you know, when they go to 12, like what is the weakness on the offense? There isn't one. You have CD Lamb out there. You have <clears throat> Amari Cooper. You have... Two, you have one of two good running backs who are both really good at catching the ball out of the backfield. Like, you know, Zeke is a big, you know, uh, you know, 220-pound back workhorse or whatever, but, like, he's really good catching the ball out of the backfield. And then you have these two tight ends who are mostly good in the short to intermediate area but can also both kind of stretch the field a little bit. Like, they can just do whatever they want when they get into these 12 personnel sets. And, like, truthfully, I think a lot of this 12 personnel stuff is probably better for Zeke because I think the way that he can navigate just, like, trash when when you have like these condensed sets and stuff and like when you have these these bigger boxes um with more bodies like the way that he can navigate that for a guy his size like it just doesn't make sense man like he is seeing into the matrix sometimes he's such a good slalom runner yes like he just the way he can like change direction almost and like the way he can press up the field while still like cutting back into another like it's hard to describe without the video but like man like he's just the efficiency of movement for a guy his size and understanding where the defense is trying to pigeonhole him and stuff is just, it's out of this world. And I think when you put more bodies and, and ask him to, to navigate more trash like that, I think that's actually where he thrives. Um, and <laughs> I do want to say this because I think Tony Pollard is a good back, but like there's a reason they don't use him for as much stuff like that. Like he's not as good navigating that stuff. Um, and I think he's not as good like if he takes a hit being able to fall forward for a couple of extra yards. He's just not. That's why I think when they go to Pollard, it's all of their outside zone stuff. It's a lot of their, like, lighter personnel, and then they'll try to do a gap scheme thing to get him. Because he wants to bounce basically every gap scheme thing they do, and I think that's why they do it, um, because they want him to bounce. I think you see a lot more weak zone with him because he's willing to just bounce it when you have less bodies on that side of the field. So I think they've done a really good job at really just getting everything out of every player on this offense. It's really cool. Dak had... uh one throw that I loved. I think it actually got called back, but who gives a shit? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, they get cover zero from the from the uh, Patriots, and they're running a double move with CeeDee Lamb as the outside receiver. And so you're thinking, okay, well, yeah, that's good. You no know, problem with that. But what ends up happening is they pump for the, the, um, the slant and go, the sluggo, and he gets bottled up. Like the, the 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 DB doesn't bite too much, and then Lamb can't get vertical afterwards. It's cover zero. Like there's a free rusher, and Dak says whatever. I don't care. <laughs> and then he and he and he turns his body to the middle of the field and he throws a strike down the field to uh, Cedric Wilson, I believe. Uh, like that's crazy. Get to your second read on like an all-out blitz like that after a pump if, um, after a pump flick. You're, you're running sluggo seam and getting to the seam against against um, cover zero pressure. Anyways, that's enough. We're done. I'm done. I don't have anything to talk about anymore. Uh, Derek, where can the people find you? 
Uh, you can find me at QB Class on Twitter. Um, I do the film room over at Football Outsiders. That'll be tomorrow. Probably writing about Derek Carr, so this episode is, is a little bit of a preview for that. Um, I do some gambling stuff over at Odds Checker. And then for Bleacher Report, like we mentioned, I do uh, all the front seven uh, scouting stuff for the NFL draft. We haven't put out too much content for that yet, but it's, it's coming. Also the best gaming journalist on the planet. That's true. If you need League of Legends tweets at 5 a.m., <laughs> I'm the guy. <laughs> and who doesn't, really? Uh, all right. This was Too High Podcast um, from myself, Deontay, and Derek. Uh, we bid you adieu, and we will see you next week.